So welcome to the ACCP Resident and Fellowship Podcast, a podcast for residents by residents. My name is Christian Kroll, and I'm the current PGY2 Emergency Medicine Clinical Pharmacy Resident at UW Health in Madison, Wisconsin. We'll be joined on the show today by Dr. Ted Berry from the UW Health uh, Cardiology Department, and he will be discussing the use of SGLT2 inhibitors and their recent rise into the spotlight for heart failure. Welcome, Ted. Thanks for having me, Christian. I'm excited to be here. Now, before we dive into the clinical discussion about SGLT2 inhibitors in heart failure, would you be able to give the listeners some insight into your pharmacy background and your current area of practice at UW Health? Absolutely. I'd be uh, be thrilled to. So um, I completed my PharmD at Drake University, and then after that went on to do a PGY1 uh, clinical pharmacy residency at North Shore University Health System in uh, Evanston, Illinois, and then went on to do a second year of cardiology residency at the Minneapolis Heart Institute um, at Abbott Northwestern in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, with mostly a, a specialization or focus in advanced heart failure during that time period. Came to UW Health afterwards um, and have been working with uh, our general cardiology and then primarily our advanced heart failure teams um, for the past five years or so, uh, kind of building up pharmacy services within those uh, different uh, different groups. Awesome description, description of your past pharmacy involvement and your current uh, involvement with these heart failure patients at UW Health. Now, diving into this topic at hand, I think it'd be worthwhile for our listeners to hear about how diabetes and heart failure really intertwine. Would you be able to elaborate on this? Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, this intersection of diabetes and heart failure has really uh, been known for for some time. Um, in the last couple of decades, more and more data has really come out kind of linking the two and Obviously, we're now at a point with the SGLT2 inhibitors and some other anti-diabetics as well, where they've really uh, kind of gotten into the spotlight here uh, in terms of uh, being uh, very powerful pharmacotherapeutic agents for for our heart failure with reduced ejection fraction patients. Um, but going back and looking at the links between diabetes and heart failure, um, Really, you can kind of look at it from a couple different, uh, couple, couple different angles. So we know heart failure is usually caused by non-ischemic and ischemic pathways. Diabetes, from an ischemic standpoint, can increase the risk of coronary artery disease, increases epithelial inflammation, coronary inflammation, uh, atherogenesis, which can lead to obviously plaque formation and plaque destabilization, and you get. Um, coronary thrombosis, essentially an MI, which can lead to ischemic heart failure. Um, from a non-ischemic standpoint, uh, we know that uh, diabetes can also impact the neurohormonal system as well, um, which can oftentimes lead to not only HEFREF, but uh, HEFPEF too. So uh, this link between the two as well has been explored in a lot of retrospective analyses. And w what we've shown is there's you know, a, a two to three times greater risk of developing heart failure if you do have diabetes. And that risk is even more prevalent in women as well. So um, diabetes and heart failure are are, are synonymous with one, with one another um, more than anything. And uh, we really started getting more into, we're looking at this relationship after um, some evidence came back, uh, came out in the late, late, uh, uh, 2008, 2009, that timeline, um, 
with the Flozens, um, where we kind of found that they didn't uh, jive too well in our heart failure patients, ultimately uh, meant that from there on out, rather than for any diabetes agent that gets approved, usually you just have to show that you're lowering A1C. Now there's this this new bar that's been set where you have to also demonstrate cardiovascular safety um, in a cardiovascular outcomes trial. So that needs to be done either pre-market or post-market within the first year or so. Um, but it, it raised the level and uh, it also at the same time opened the door to a lot of new data where we're looking at cardiovascular outcomes, which is how we've kind of found these benefits from a lot of different anti-diabetic drugs, whether it's uh, the GLP-1s or the SGLT-2s as well. So that's kind of how we've arrived at this point in time. Wow, that's amazing how much the presence of diabetes really impacts the outcomes of these heart failure patients. Absolutely. So you mentioned a little bit about some other agents uh, that impact heart failure and diabetes. Is, do you think it's worth mentioning just like a quick tidbit about some of those classes and maybe what we've learned so far about those before we really hit these SGLT2 inhibitors? Yeah. So, uh, you know, for the most part, what we've found, and I'll just keep it within the realm of, uh, within the realm of heart failure for the most part. Um, so the GLP-1 receptor agonists have been studied. There's a variety of those options, uh, a, a variety of those pharmacotherapeutics on the market. Um, from a heart failure with a reduced ejection fraction standpoint, um, there actually was a trial that was done called FIGHT-HF that looked at liraglutide um, in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction uh, patient population and, and found no benefit. Um, there is some data with the GLP-1s in terms of folks with just general atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease for preventing recurrent MI, stroke, um, just overall that composite cardiovascular outcome that we see so, uh, so synonymous with cardiovascular outcomes trials. There's really not any other data for any of the other anti-diabetics besides SGLT2s, unfortunately. Um, the gliptins, for the most part, are cardiovascular neutral. There may be some data out there to suggest uh, potential harm um, with a couple of those, but for the most part, uh, they're not drugs that we're going to reach to, obviously, in a heart failure patient, um, but more than likely cardiovascular neutral, as well as metformin is always going to be a, a bellwether agent for any anti-diabetic regimen, given its uh, cardiovascular um, neutrality and then also uh, just safety profile. Um, and tolerability profile, and it's cheap too. So more than anything, really where we're at is the SGLT2s have a benefit. We know for heart failure, everything else is for the most part more than likely fine, but it's not going to really add anything on top of our, our typical heart failure therapy. Perfect. And I like how this, that this is a class-wide effect too, based compared to an individual agent uh, mm -hmm. effect as well. I think that this really sets the stage for us to now dive into the agents that we currently have available and discuss what makes each agent unique and specialized based on the trials that are currently released. In my mind, it makes sense to walk through each individual agent with its respective trial before determining which SGLT2 inhibitor we use. First, let's start with Conegaflozin branded as Invokana. The utility of Conegaflozin in heart failure patients was examined in the CANVAS program which consisted of two double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trials, the CANVAS and the CANVAS-R trial. The participants of these trials were men and women aged 30 years and older with type 2 diabetes and symptomatic ASCVD, or those aged 50 years or older with risk factors for ASCVD. All subjects had an estimated GFR of at least 30 mils per minute to show normal renal function. 
The primary outcome of the CANVAS trial was the combination of death from cardiovascular causes, non-fatal MI, and non-fatal stroke. Secondary outcomes were death from any cause and the combination of death from cardiovascular causes and heart failure hospitalization. Now, within the CANVAS study, conagliflozin was associated with much lower risks of cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization when compared with placebo. Also, when Invokana was compared with placebo, there was a, a substantially lower risk of fatal or hospitalized heart failure exacerbation. This beneficial effect was seen on the primary outcome, which was higher in patients with a history of heart failure compared to those without established heart failure at baseline. Now, Ted, how do you interpret this data for the usage of Invokana in heart failure patients? Yeah, so, uh, you know, overall, canagliflozin doesn't have any direct data like we'll talk about with dipagliflozin and empagliflozin in our HEFREF patients, specifically for reducing um, cardiovascular mortality, overall mortality, uh, uh, and all of that jazz. But um, what was encouraging from Canvas, like we saw with uh, many of the other SGLT2 trials, in, in their study or their pursuit to demonstrate cardiovascular uh, safety, in folks with just atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease is that, again, like you mentioned, Christian, there was a signal for a reduction in uh, heart failure hospitalization and then also new heart failure as well, which um, was thought provoking and, and really is what led to a lot of, or led to our um, uh, HEFREF trials with dipagliflozin and empagliflozin as well. So the Canvas data was definitely a win for folks with ASCVD um, and, and diabetes for preventing recurrent events um, from just a, a, a cardiometabolic standpoint. But also, again, it was a, a reaffirmation or resignaling that there may be uh, potentially uh, a benefit in our heart failure patients as well, which like, we, like I mentioned, we'll talk a little bit about here with empagliflozin and dipagliflozin as well. Perfect. So then moving from Invokana to another SGLT2 inhibitor, empagliflozin, otherwise known as Jardians. Jardians actually was the first SGLT2 inhibitor that evaluated its efficacy for its usage in cardiovascular disease in the EMPA-REG trial in 2015. Within the EMPA-REG trial, only 10% of the patients had a diagnosis of heart failure. The results of the EMPA-REG trial showed that empagliflozin improved heart failure hospitalization or death from heart failure and also a lower usage of loop diuretics when compared to placebo. Based on this positive outcome of the EMPA-REG trial, the EMPA-REDUCED trial was conducted to specifically look at the usage of Jardians in, heart, in the HEF-REF population. This study looked at empagliflozin 10 milligrams once daily or placebo with the primary outcome of cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization. Now, Ted, was there any interesting aspects of this trial and the results? Uh, you know, similar to like what we saw with um, uh, Canvas, again, it was another signal, obviously a win for ASCVD patients in terms of preventing recurrent events. But again, another signal with our heart failure patients that there may be benefit from these SGLT2 inhibitors in terms of um, uh, preventing heart failure and then also preventing heart failure hospitalization. And, you know, canagliflozin obviously came out first and then empagliflozins uh, through the Emperor series and then depagliflozin through Declaratimi. But again, uh, it started to, to raise questions too of mechanistically where, how is this happening? Is it related to the glycosuric effects? So, 
these drugs can cause uh, volume depletion, obviously, which can be beneficial sometimes in our heart failure uh, patients, obviously. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a talk about obviously lowering uh, blood glucose as well, but these aren't really that powerful of A1C lowering medications. Um, so it's probably not that, but some other sort of mechanistic uh, uh, fundamentally uh, different angle that these drugs are working compared to our normal guideline directed therapies, um, which we'll talk a little bit uh, about down the road here. But continued to add to the the mounting evidence that these drugs may have an impact in our heart failure folks. Perfect. And we can definitely say now that Jardians has more data for benefit than Conegaflows. And if that, you say, would say that would be correct. Uh, absolutely. So, I mean, if we're going to just talk about general ASCVD, then it's, a, a, you could argue a toss up. But, um, you know, in terms of heart failure, you know, now considering what we know about uh, empagliflozin from Emperor Reduced and so forth, um, empagliflozin definitely uh, has a broader, will have broader labeling than canagliflozin um, moving forward. Did you know that the Journal for the American College of Clinical Pharmacy, or the JACCP, offers three hours of BCPS recertification credit quarterly? They're called PSAP in JACCP, and they are short modules, typically a series of interactive patient cases that allow you to accumulate BCPS or regular continuing education credit on a continuous basis. Check out the modules in the December 2020 issue of the JACCP for an update on inflammatory bowel disease and statistics and practice. All ACCP members have free access to the journal content, and these modules can serve as a study tool for those who have not yet taken the board certification exam. Those who have already certified can earn three hours of BCPS credit for just $29.95. So now let's talk about another SGLT2 with a more comparable amount of data to Jardians, the Pegaflozin or Farsiga. So Farsiga entered the stage for cardiovascular event prevention through the Declaratimi trial, as Ted mentioned, uh, similarly to in Pegaflozin. This trial had about 10% heart failure patients and showed a significant reduction in the rate of cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization. Again, similarly to Jardians, Farsiga created a follow-up study, the DAPA-HF trial, that looked specifically at evaluating topegaflozin versus placebo and reducing the incidence or worsening of heart failure or cardiovascular death in patients receiving goal-directed medical therapy. So, Ted, an interesting point to consider is how did the results of the DAPA-HF trial stand up to the other recent landmark trials? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I think, and even to rewind it a little bit further, when you look at Declare-Timmy, which was uh, the original Depagliflozin trial, um, and you compare that to uh, Canvas and then also to um, the Emperor series as well, you're going to see that uh, Depagliflozin, interestingly, while it was not inferior um, to placebo, it was not superior. Like we, uh, there was no superiority like we saw with empagliflozin and then also uh, canagliflozin. So I think that's a formulary consideration to think about um, if your institution now based on the HEF-REF data that we have for empagliflozin and depagliflozin, if you're vacillating between the two of them and you're not going to add both of them to formulary, something to think about is the fact that empagliflozin, not only <clears throat> in addition to its HEFREF um, uh, data, also has better ASCVD data than depagliflozin as well. So it's 
kind of a, a you know, uh, two birds, one stone situation here from that standpoint. Getting back to the HEFREF data, though, um, DAP-HF was the first of the um, HEFREF uh, trials to come out um, for the SGLT2 inhibitors. Um, and it was uh, overwhelming, the benefit that the drug had on top of guideline-directed medical therapy. So if you actually take a look at backbone therapy that patients were on, um, it was very impressive. Uh, and I don't have the numbers right off the top of my head um, or in front of me. But, I mean, we're talking about 70 to you know, 80% of patients on uh, uh, beta blockers, ASAR Barney, and MRA and then throwing SGLT2 inhibitor on board. And the magnitude of effect of the SGLT2 inhibitor was equivalent to when we added Entresto on originally in Paradigm HF, or we added on Spironolactone in Rails. Um, so it, it's just, it's very interesting to think about it from that standpoint that we saw as much benefit after, you know, adding on a fourth agent as we did when we added on, you know, our third, um, uh, third agent with the MRAs or switched out our, our ACE and ARB with Arnie as well. Um, so uh, very impressive data, um, really kind of cemented more than likely the, the legacy moving forward for the SGLT2 inhibitors as having a defined role in our heart failure with reduced ejection fraction uh, patients with or without diabetes. So when you look at both DAP-HF and Emperor Reduce, this was not necessarily uh, just including folks with diabetes, it was almost an even split in terms of folks with and without diabetes and that primary composite outcome. Uh, the, the reduction that we saw um, was was preserved in both of those groups as well. So uh, very compelling data um, and uh, something that's going to be a, a game changer for practice uh, moving forward. So now that we've reviewed the clinical data for these three agents, it's probably worth mentioning any major side effects that could result from these therapies. And are there any additional drug reactions or clinical considerations when you're deciding about even starting an SGLT2 dead? Yeah, there's a lot to think about with the SGLT2 inhibitors. And, you know, I think a lot of inpatient folks, which is where I practice, don't have as much experience initiating these drugs or dealing with uh, a lot of patients with, on these drugs is for the most part, uh, you know, usually we're holding oral, uh, 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 hyperglycemics when folks are admitted. Um, and I think our ambulatory and clinic colleagues probably have a, a better grasp on things that we should be thinking about, but just some things that would roll off the top of uh, one's head when thinking about starting an SGLT2 inhibitor. Number one is going to be just volume and, uh, especially when we're dealing with heart failure patients, potentially the need for adjusting diuretics. The data so far would suggest from, from DAPA-HF that we know um, is that a majority of patients actually didn't require diuretic adjustment initially when started on dipagliflozin. Uh, for those that did require adjustment, it was usually just a one-time thing. So, um, it, you know, it, it's something that obviously will require uh, judicious uh, examination of the patient, but um, it's something that one should think about. Uh, and I think it's also something where you need to think about uh, the patient's health literacy as well. Is this a patient that you, you know, trust is going to be, you know, taking daily weights at home? Are they someone that's good about taking an appropriate amount of volume um, and not getting dehydrated quickly? 
another counseling point kind of related to that is when you have people that are acutely ill with the flu, COVID, whatever it might be, where your oral intake is lower than normal, uh, usually the recommendation will be to hold SGLT2 inhibitor therapy. Um, there's also a unfortunate in, increased risk of like euglycemic dia, uh, diabetic ketoacidosis with these drugs. So again, something to to talk to patients about the risk of urinary tract infection um, or mycotic infections is there. Usually it's a one-time thing for most patients. That's what we saw in the trials. It was usually a one-time infection and it didn't happen again. Um, but again, uh, uh, just general hygiene um, is important for these folks. There is a risk of Fournier's gangrene as well, which is very rare, but again, something worth mentioning to patients. Um, there was some original data out there for an increased risk of bone fracture uh, and that data and amputation. The bone fracture data is still there as with most of the patients that are on these drugs are usually folks that probably belong on vitamin D and calcium as well. So uh, appropriate assessment um, for our elderly patients. But the risk of amputation was really uh, determined um, to not exist. And that, that stemmed from the Canvas data and the FDA has walked that back um, since that time. But um, those are those are some of the main things to think about. Uh, there's a host of other uh, things as well with SGLT2 inhibitors, but for the most part, you want to be careful with fluid status, um, and then also just general um, uh, hygiene um, for our patients as well, and uh, uh, making sure that they're aware of the signs of um, euglycemic decay. Now that we've pieced this together, I have two final questions for you, Ted. So. The first one is where do you see SGLT2s now falling into place for heart failure, goal-directed therapy? And then the second one is if you had to pick one, which one are you going with? So in turn, I'll, I'll answer the first question uh, here first. So I, they're absolutely going to be part of our, our backbone therapy. So, you know, we had triple therapy before. It's going to be quad therapy now with HFREF patients. There's really no right or wrong way to initiate these agents on folks. You know, some people want to to take the shotgun approach and start low doses of everything and new heart failure patients. Other people are more pragmatic about it and like to titrate. I, I, what I'd say ultimately is you want to keep in mind there's goal directed doses to get patients to um, for both dipagliflozin and impagliflozin. It's 10 milligrams, so that's easy to remember. Um, for both of them. And pagliflozin is normally dosed to 25 milligrams. So that's a kind of a, a, a different dosing strategy, but um, something to think about. Um, but, I, you know, I think they're both going to be whether, you know, patient gets put on one or the other, and it might have to do with insurance more than anything, but um, they're both going to be very important pharmacotherapeutics for us moving forward for HFREF patients. In terms of which one to pick, I'll, I'll come at it from the formulary standpoint and go back to it again and, and just re-highlight the fact that dipagliflozin was not inferior when we're talking about just general ASCBD as opposed to impagliflozin. So I think you're going to get more bang for your buck with impagliflozin on formulary. You're going to be able to reach more patients because we can all think of how many, you know, MI patients come in that have diabetes that may benefit from uh, this pharmacotherapeutic class. So I'd rather use something that has superiority versus just neutrality like dipagliflozin does. So I would, I would go with impagliflozin. Well, thank you so much for all your insight, Ted. I appreciate you taking the time to discuss this new and developing area of heart, fa uh, heart failure practice with me. Thank you, Christian. Appreciate the invite. 
Thank you for listening to this month's episode of the ACCP Resident and Fellowship Podcast, a podcast for residents by residents. For more episodes and other resident and fellow resources, please visit our website at www.acccp.com backslash resfell. Thank you for listening to an ACCP podcast for residents by residents. Our theme music is titled Jupiter's Smile by the 126ers and is provided through YouTube's free audio library. Please subscribe to the ACCP podcast to be notified of new episodes.